The kids at school have been so worried. We overheard the teachers talking that it's not just Pearl Harbor. It seems the whole world is under attack. The president is supposed to be on the radio any minute now. Hopefully he will clarify what exactly has happened. Looks like we may have just entered another world war. What does this mean, Dad? Are we going to be safe? Yeah, is the war going to come here? We may not know what the future holds, but we have our faith, and God has never let us down. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. We have to keep trusting in God. We can also remember that we have our very own Prince of Peace, Jesus came into this world all those years ago on that very first Christmas. Times were dark then, too. Yes, in times like these, we have to hold on to that peace that comes from the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the midst of uncertainty, we find comfort in your promises. We know that you are still in control. Grant us peace beyond understanding, and may we remain steadfast as we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's getting late. Time for bed, you two. You still have school in the morning. Dad, I've been thinking a lot about what's been happening. I think I should join the military and fight for our country. Tom, that's a big decision. One that should not be made lightly. War is full of devastation and immense suffering beyond what anyone should experience. It could leave you deeply wounded, son. I know, Dad, but I can't just sit around when there's a call to fight for what we believe in. Your decision is not easy for me. You've always been my brave boy with a lot of heart and a big faith. You have my full support, son. Just promise me you'll be careful. Thank you, Dad, and I will. And remember, our faith can be your anchor in the storm. Lean on it when times get tough. I will. Thank you. I have peace that everything will be okay.
have your Bible with you, let me encourage you to open or hold it up right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now open up your copy of God's Word with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is in the Old Testament. It's one of the major prophets. You turn to Psalms right there in the middle of your Bible. Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. And I want to read to you this morning two verses, verses 6 and 7. So if your Bibles are open, listen to the Word of God. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. The year was 732 BC, and the Assyrian war machine was marching throughout the Middle East, killing everyone in its path, looting everything in its path. And Assyria had its eyes set on Israel. And because of this, Israel was frightened to death. They did not know what was going to happen. They knew one thing. They could not withstand an attack from Syria. Spiritually, morally, politically, a thick darkness had enveloped the land of Israel. The people were so destitute that they were even praying to the dead. They were looking to the kingdom of darkness to find a little ray of hope in their world. And it was into this situation that the prophet Isaiah gave them a word from God. He said, there is coming a day when the people who are in darkness will see a great light. And then he told them about a child that would be born. But the child that was going to be born was no ordinary child. This child would be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and then the Prince of Peace. And then the prophet Isaiah said this, he said his government and its peace will never end. Now we know that Isaiah was talking about Jesus who was born 700 years later in Bethlehem. But the Prince of Peace was born during a time when the Roman Empire was ruling the land of Israel. And Jesus was eventually put to death, crucified at the hands of the Roman government. Then 40 years later, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Roman army. According to the Jewish historian Josephus, 1.1 million Jews died during that siege. Now let's fast forward and move to the United States. The year is 1941. The world had been at war for, for just over two years. This is the second time that the world had been at war in a little over 20 years. 
In 1918, when the First World War was over, over 20 million people had lost their lives. Now they were in a Second World War, but somehow, some way, the United States had, had somehow not yet entered this war. But then December the 7th came, and the Japanese army attacked Pearl Harbor. And on that day, 2,403 Americans lost their lives. And then on December the 8th, President Roosevelt gave his famous speech, a date which will live in infamy speech. And because of that, America entered World War II. World War II didn't end until four years later. And by the end of that war, 75 to 80 million people, let that sink in, 75 to 80 million people had lost their lives. Now, you would think that the world would have learned something by this time, but we didn't. A few years later, we had the Vietnam or Korean War, and then a few years after that, we had the Vietnam War, and then we had the Cold War, the Persian Gulf War and the war on terror. And today, even though we are not officially involved in a war, we are supporting the war between Ukraine and Russia and the war Israel is having with Hamas, a, a war that could easily escalate at any moment. But what you need to understand this morning is this isn't anything new. Truth be told, the world, or at least parts of the world, have been at war since the beginning of time. Historians tell us that since man came on this earth, there have been over 10,000 wars. But it's not just nations fighting against nations. It's, it's ethnic groups, religious groups, political groups that cannot get along waging war with one another. Our world is filled with with despots and dictators, terrorists and bullies who use violence as a means to get what they want. And to them, life is meaningless and peace is impossible unless they have their way. And most often that means that you and I are surrendering our will, our life to them. And all of this, even though the Prince of Peace has come. So let me ask you a question. Did he fail? The Prince of Peace, the one who was going to bring peace to the earth, the one whose government would never end, his peace would never end, did he fail? When Jesus came to earth, he said that we were to be peacemakers. He said peacemakers would be called the children of God. We're even told that, that we should live at peace with all people as much as as depends on us, and yet there is no peace. We, we don't even have peace in our own nation, much less our world. And so I ask again, did Jesus fail? Well, you know the answer. The answer is obviously Jesus didn't fail. He did exactly what he came to do, and he will do exactly what he plans to do. You need to remember that when Jesus was here on this earth, he told us until he comes again, there will be wars and rumors of wars. We are told that when we enter the last days, the world will be filled with savage, brutal, violent people. 
And we're even told that in the final days before Jesus returns, there will be wars and slaughter like the world has never seen before. And then when Jesus comes, he will set up his kingdom, a kingdom that will never end. And then and only then will we have peace on this earth. You need to understand that until Jesus comes back again, there will be no peace on earth. But what does that mean for us? Does that mean that we can't have peace until Jesus comes back? Well, no, I believe that Jesus came to give us peace. You see, Jesus came so that each of us, all of us, could have peace with God and the peace of God. And the amazing thing is, when the world is at war, when violence and hatred seem to be everywhere we turn, we can still have peace. And what you need to understand this morning is that that peace begins when we make peace with God. Now, some of you are probably thinking, make peace with God? What do you mean, make peace with God? I'm not at war with God. But I want you to listen to me for just a moment. If God is the creator of all things, and he is, then that means that God sets the rules. God determines what is right and what is wrong. And if we willfully choose to disobey God's rules, God's laws, if we choose to do our thing rather than his thing, we are choosing to rebel against God. And that makes us an enemy of God. Let me share with you a few verses from God's word. Romans chapter 8. Verse 7 says this, it says, people become enemies of God when they are controlled by their human nature, for they do not obey God's law. Now what you need to understand is the Bible makes it clear that each and every one of us are born with a sinful human nature. We received that human nature, that sinful nature from our very first ancestors, Adam and Eve. When they chose to rebel against God, that sinful tendency, that sinful nature was handed down from generation to generation to each and every one of us. You see, just like you can be born with the eye color of your parents because you get that from them, or you can be born with a tendency to be good at a certain sport or good at music or good at something else because your parents were, you are born with a tendency to sin. The Bible says, in sin did my mother conceive me. What the Bible teaches is that when we were born, we were born with a sinful nature. And each and every one of us act on that sinful nature. Sherry and I are, 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 are blessed to have our four or four of our grandkids living with us right now. And that includes our three-year-old grandson, Summit. Now, Summit is just like every other two- and three-year-old. He has a sinful nature. And you say, are you saying that your little three-year-old grandson is a sinner? Oh, you better believe he's a sinner. He can sin with the best of them. He wants his way, and he wants his way all the time. And if he doesn't get his way, he will throw a fit. You know why he does that? 
because he inherited it from his mom and dad. And they inherited it from their mom and dad, which includes me and my wife. And we inherited it from our parents. And it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. We've inherited that sinful nature, that propensity to sin from our ancestors. And the reality is, each and every one of us sin. You may have a child that you say is compliant and they always do what you tell them to do. Really? All the time? You want to bet your house on it? Because if you're willing to bet your house on it, I'll take that bet. And you can hand over the keys and the deed right now. Because your children, just like every child that has ever been born on this earth, is born with a sinful nature. And sooner or later, we will act on that sinful nature. We are born sinners, enemies of God. James, the, the brother of Jesus, said it this way in James chapter 4, verse 4. He said, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of this world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Now, don't miss what God's Word is saying. It's saying that when we choose to be a friend of this world, we're choosing to be an enemy of God. Now, it's not talking about the people of this world. It's talking about the things of this world, the values of this world, the things that this world holds dear. And God says when, when we're friends with this world system, that we're living in we are not a friend of God we cannot have it both ways John said it this way he said love not this world nor the things of this world if you love this world the love of the Father is not in you we want to play both sides of the fence but we can't to align with this world is to align yourself in opposition to God and the reality is every single one of us have done that at some time or another. We followed our sinful nature rather than the will of God. We've aligned ourselves with this world rather than a holy God. And because of that, we're enemies of God. And the Bible even goes further. It says because of that, we are under the wrath of God. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 2. It says, but because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself for a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Hear me. The Bible makes it clear that there is coming a day when God's righteous anger will be poured out on this world. Many people don't like to talk about that today. Very few preachers are willing to say that today. But you need to understand that the Bible makes it clear that there is coming a day when holy God will have had all he can take and his anger and his divine wrath are going to be poured out on this world. I want you to listen to what it says in the book of Hebrews. It says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only, listen, the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. God says if we continue to deliberately sin, 
after the grace of God has been revealed to us, the only thing that we can look forward to is the judgment of God that ends with the fire of God. If we continue to deliberately sin, all we can look forward to in the future is God's judgment and God's wrath. So how, how can we have peace with our Creator? I mean, how can you and I, who were born into sin, who choose to sin, rebel against our Creator, have peace with Him? Well, some have this idea that, that when I discover that I'm not at peace with God, what I need to do is I need to follow His rules. I need to follow His laws. And, and if I begin to follow His rules and follow His laws, and, and in the ledger that I'm keeping, if, if the good things that I do outweigh the bad things that I've done, and I still occasionally do, then, then I'm okay because the scales of justice tip in my favor. But that's not how it works. You see, the Bible teaches that there is nothing that I can do that will ever tip the scales of justice into my favor. My sins are too great to ever tip the scales to favor me. If I'm depending on what I can do, the scales are going to always tip in favor of judgment rather than God's mercy and God's grace. And so how? How can I have peace with God? Well, the Bible says that there are two things that I must do. First of all, I must admit that I am a sinner. I must admit my sin. Isaiah said it this way. Listen to what he said in Isaiah 64, verse 6. He said, we are all infected and impure with sin. Did you hear what he said? We all are infected. We all are impure with sin. Not some of us. Not most of us, but every single one of us have been infected by sin. We are impure because of that sin, every single one of us. And when we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. When we realize that we're impure, that we're infected with sin, and we begin to try to tip the scales of justice, what God says is the very best I have to offer my righteous deeds. In God's eyes, they look like filthy rags. I'm never going to be good enough to tip the scales of justice in my favor. In Isaiah 53, it says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds... We are healed. Now, I want you to notice two words. The word transgressions and the word iniquities. The word transgression there means willful sins. It's to trespass. It's to step across the line. It's as if God has these no trespassing signs that he's set up. And whenever we trespass, we step across that line. We do something that God tells us not to do. We've trespassed. And the Bible says we have all transgressed against God we've all trespassed we've all stepped over the line and then he said we are all crushed for our iniquities or by our iniquities iniquities are, are our sinful nature the things that we are born with and so the prophet Isaiah is saying that we are guilty because of the things that we do the trespasses that we've committed and we are guilty because we have a sinful nature and our only hope our only hope 
is to admit our sin before a holy God. Oh, you can bow up to God and try to say that you're not that bad, that you're pretty good compared to most. You're a lot better. But I'm here to tell you, your only hope before a holy God is to admit your sin. And that's never going to happen until you come under conviction for your sin. And the Bible says that happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. I remember when that happened in my life. It didn't happen when I was an adult. It didn't happen when I was a teenager. It happened when I was a nine-year-old boy. I was blessed to be born into a family with a mother and father that loved Jesus. And I was blessed to be a part of a church where God's Word was taught every single Sunday morning, every single Sunday night. But one Sunday morning as a nine-year-old boy, I don't think anything was really different about that service. But as the message was being preached, I can't remember a word that was said, but as the message was being preached, I came to the realization that I had sinned against a holy God. And I was overwhelmed by my sin. I knew as a nine-year-old boy that I was guilty and I deserved death and I deserved hell. And that Sunday morning when the invitation was given, Man, I went down front as soon as I could because I wanted to acknowledge I need Jesus. And that takes me to the second thing. I must accept Jesus. You see, I must admit that I'm a sinner and I must accept Jesus. I want you to go back to Isaiah 53, verse 5. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Now, who is that he? That he is Jesus. Jesus came to this world and he was pierced and he was crushed because of our sins. Jesus took what we deserved, death on a cross, so that you and I could be forgiven. So that you and I, according to Isaiah 53, could have peace with God. Jesus is the one who can bring us peace with God. I want you to listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, remember that in those days you were living utterly apart from Christ. You were lost, without God, without hope. But now you belong to Christ Jesus. And though you once were far away from God, now you have been brought very near to him because of what Jesus Christ has done for you with his blood. For Christ himself is our way of peace. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, listen. Jesus came to this earth, born of a virgin, without sin. He lived a perfect life. He never once transgressed God's law. And then he died a cruel death on a cross, taking the punishment that we should have to take for ourselves. And then he was buried in a tomb. But Jesus didn't stay dead. No, because on that third day, Jesus came out of the tomb. He defeated sin, and he defeated death for you and for me. And I'm here to tell you this morning, if you will only admit your sin, turning from that sin, and you will accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, he will change your life, and he will give you peace with God, and everything in your life will become you. And if you're here and you've never acknowledged your sin, 
You've never trusted Jesus as the only one who can save you. Then I beg you this morning, don't leave this place without humbling yourself before God and giving your life to Jesus. Because once you have peace with God, it's only then that you can experience the peace of God. I want you to listen to what Jesus said in, in John 14. He's talking to those who have that peace of, with God. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Now this is absolutely amazing to me because Jesus is saying that he gives us his peace. Jesus gives us the peace he had. He gives us the peace he experienced. It's a peace that's not of this world. It's a peace that, that doesn't come and go depending on our situations and circumstances. It's, it's a peace that is beyond all understanding. It's a peace that allows us to cope with the problems and pains of this life, the uncertainties and uncontrollable events that we face day to day. Someone said that, that it's a peace that allows us to keep our head when everyone around us is losing theirs. And we all need this peace because life is so uncertain. I mean, for some of us, it'll be death. The death of a loved one, a parent, a child, a spouse. For others, it could be a health issue, a heart attack, cancer, or some other life-threatening illness. It could be constant pain. It could be a divorce, financial uncertainty, or, or it could be the loss of a dream. And we need the peace that comes from God, the, the peace that only he can give, his peace. But here's what I know I want you to listen to. I think every one of us here who has experienced peace with God can testify that there have been times in our life we know that we've experienced peace with God and yet even though we've experienced that peace with God there is something happening in our life where the peace of God is nowhere to be found. Has that ever happened to you? And there ever been a time where I mean, you know that you love Jesus, you know that Jesus loves you, you know that you're his child, you know you've been born again, but, but that peace that he talks about, it seems a seems hundred miles away. That's why there's a passage that's important to me and a verse that kind of catapults me into this entire passage. The verse is Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. The passage is Philippians 4. I think this passage talks to us about how to experience this peace of God on a daily basis. Listen to what, what Paul says. He begins verse 7 this way. He says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So notice how that verse begins. This is, this is important. It begins with the word then. Then you will know. God's peace and so what Paul is telling us is even though God gives us a gift of peace there are some things that we need to do to experience that peace on a regular consistent basis and Paul gives us these things in the verses 
preceding verse 7 and the verses after verse 7. So let me give you the things that Paul tells us we need to do that will help us experience peace on a daily basis. First, he tells us we need to choose joy. Look at verse 4. He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. You see, Paul is telling us that, that joy isn't the result of my circumstances. Joy is a choice I make in spite of my circumstances. I can't always control my circumstances. But I can determine how I'm going to respond to the circumstances. And Paul tells us that we choose joy. If you have your Bibles open, I want you to turn with me to a passage in the book of Psalms, Psalm 13. It's a short psalm, six verses, Psalm 13. This is a passage that, that God gave me several years ago when someone I loved dearly was struggling. And I was reading through the psalm and, and I came upon this psalm and God really ministered to me in this psalm. Listen to what he says, and it's David speaking here. He said, oh Lord, how long are you going to forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. And let me stop there for just a minute. Notice how David was feeling. Notice where David was during this time. He felt like God had forgotten him. His soul was in anguish. His heart was filled with sorrow every single day. David felt like he was going to die. Was David in a pit? You better believe David was in a pit. I don't know if you've ever been in a time in your life where you felt as bad as David felt right here. He felt forgotten by God. Every single day was filled with anguish and sorrow. He wanted to die. He felt like he was going to die. But then, I want you to notice a choice that David made. Now, understand, his circumstances had not changed. He was still in the pit. Everything that had happened in the first verses were still happening to him here. But notice what he says, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. And understand, in the midst of this psalm, David had not been rescued. But he was trusting God to rescue him even in the midst of the pain. And then he said, I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. David said, I choose to trust God. I choose joy over my circumstances. And in the midst of my sorrow, in the midst of my anguish, I am going to sing out loud praises to God. David didn't let his situation or his feelings determine what he did. He made a willful choice to trust, to rejoice, and sing. He didn't feel like it, but he did it anyway, and it changed everything. You see, 
You can determine how you respond to any and every situation. It may be hard. It may seem unnatural. But you determine your responses to what happens to you. Choose joy. The second thing Paul says in Philippians 4 is live in light of the Lord's return. Notice what he says in verse 5. He says, let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. And then the second phrase, remember the Lord is coming soon. When the troubles of this world seem to weigh you down, when the people of this world are wearing you out, remember, the Lord is coming soon. Difficult times, difficult people won't last forever. But when we experience the reward that God has prepared for us, oh, brothers and sisters, it will last forever. I want you to listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Now, understand, Paul was beaten, he was whipped, he was shipwrecked, he was thrown into prison multiple times. I mean, are those small problems? I mean, those are pretty big problems. I mean, how would you feel? Would you call your problems small if you started being beaten and whipped on a regular basis today? If you were thrown into prison and you went in and out of prison simply because of your faith, would you call those small problems? That's what Paul did. He said, for our present troubles are small, they won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now soon will be gone. But the things we cannot see, what? The things we cannot see will last forever. So we live in light of the Lord's return. The third thing Paul tells us is take my concerns to God. Listen to verse 6. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for what he has done. You see, we have a choice. We can worry about things or we can pray about things. Now, our English word for worry comes from an old German word, which means to strangle or choke. It literally described putting a noose around someone's neck and choking the life out of them. And that's what worry does to us. Worry chokes the life out of us. And listen, worrying about things never accomplishes a thing. It never solves a problem. It never steps in to meet a need. But prayer, oh dear friend, prayer moves mountains. Prayer defeats our strongest adversaries. Prayer does for man what man can't do because when we pray, we're calling out to Almighty God. And here's what I've discovered. When I pray, regardless of the answer I ask for, he gives me peace. Did you hear that? The peace doesn't come because the prayer I'm asking, Lord, remove this hardship. Lord, remove this difficult person. The peace doesn't come because God does what I ask. The peace comes simply through the prayer. I love this old song, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer.
Here's the fourth thing I need to do, and I'm going to have to hurry. We need to refocus our mind. Listen to verse 8. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and praiseworthy. You see, the things that I put into my mind have a profound impact on how I feel. There have been studies that have shown that certain kinds of music, certain video games, certain types of shows and movies can not only cause depression, they can cause anxiety and stress to our life. We have to take our minds off the things of this world and refocus our minds on the things of God. And finally, I must put God's word into practice. Listen to what he says. He says, keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Then the God of peace will be with you. You see, it's not enough to know what to do. You've got to do what you know to do. And when you do, the God of peace will be with you. Someone once said this. They said, when I looked to Jesus, the dove of peace flew into my heart. But when I looked at the dove, the peace went away. And that's true. Jesus is the only one that can bring us peace. Because he's the prince of peace. Now, I don't know where you're at this morning. You may be here in this room and you're not at peace with God. And I don't know your heart. The person sitting next to you most likely doesn't know your heart, but you do. You know whether you're at peace with God or not. And if you're not, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit of God is convicting you right now. And if he is, I pray that in just a moment, when we all stand and we begin to sing this song, that you will step out of your seat, you will step into that aisle, and you'll come forward. You'll take one of our pastors by the hand and just say, I need to be at peace with God. We'll tell you how you can do that. Because you're never going to have peace in this world until you have peace with God. And then there may be others of you who, you're not experiencing that peace. You know that Jesus has saved you, but you're filled with anxiety and worry and depression. And it's not because of some chemical imbalance in your brain it's because of the situation the circumstances that you're facing in life and the reason that you're experiencing this and you're not experiencing peace is because you're not doing you're not putting into practice what God's Word says in Philippians chapter 4 because when you do those things God's peace that passes understanding will comfort both your heart and your mind as you walk with Christ Jesus. So if you're here and you're not at peace with God, I pray today you'll give your life to Him. If you're here and you're not experiencing that peace, I pray today that you'll just come to this altar and just pour your heart out to God and make a commitment today to do those things you need to do to live with God's peace. I want you to stand with me right now. I'm going to pray, and then our team is going to lead us in a song. And my prayer is that you'll be obedient to whatever God's calling you to do. Father God, this is your time. And I pray that you'll have your way in each and every one of our lives. Father God, please, please don't let anyone leave this room who has not given their heart and life to you. 
Stir their hearts. Bring conviction. Give them the courage to, Lord, take that first step so that you can change their life. Father, those who aren't experiencing your peace, Lord, I pray that whether it's a choice to choose joy, whether it's to cast their cares on you in prayer, whether it's to recognize that that this world is passing away, but what you have in store for us is forever, whether it's reprogramming our mind and thinking about the things of God, whatever it may be, Father, I pray that we'll begin to do it so we can live in your peace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.